You are listening to a five-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Generous. This series aims to equip you in becoming a generous person, not only one who blesses other people, but someone who experiences financial peace and reduces worry. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. I want to welcome you, especially if you're a first-time guest, and want to welcome those following along at our Washington location and lake location. Uh, If you're new, we're in this series called Generous, and we're going through this series to prepare us for where we feel like God is taking us with the Next Resource Initiative. And so in this series, the first week, let me just summarize a little bit where we've been. The first week, we learned that, that our financial situation has no effect on our, number one, our joy or our generosity. The Macedonian believers, we learned from the Macedonian believers from 2 Corinthians 8, that they were not just in poverty, but in extreme poverty. Let me tell you this. It says, for in a severe affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity. So even though they were in extreme poverty, they had an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. Sometimes you and I get caught up in the myth uh, that you know, if we have a lot, then we'll be generous, or if we don't have much, then we can't be generous, but that's just not true. Rich people are rich, and generous people are generous. Uh, they were in so much poverty. In fact, the Apostle Paul didn't even initially uh, extend the invitation for them to give. He's like, I'm just going to pass over that church because I don't know that they have anything to give, but actually... Uh, the Macedonian believers came knocking on Paul's door and and begged them, please, can we give, which is a total role reversal. Usually, uh, the fundraiser is begging the donors uh, to give. In this situation, the donors are begging the fundraiser to give. Uh, So when it comes to being a generous person, generous people lean into giving. They're not leaning away. They're leaning in. Then we... Two, we talked about barriers to generosity, that if you and I are honest, even though that we want to be generous, uh, there are barriers that get in the way. The first barrier we talked about was instant gratification, that you and I, you and I are um, uh, creatures that drift toward the immediate payoff instead of looking to the long term. Let me tell you a quote by Blaise Pascal, the philosopher and mathematician. He said, a man's sensitivity to small things and his insensitivity to the most important things are surely evidences of a strange disorder. What he's saying is that you and I tend to uh, make you know, small, insignificant things the most important things, and we actually ignore the things that are really important. That's one of the reasons why, even though that we are the richest country of all time, uh, individuals are up to the gills in, in credit card debt, paying interest that are, is crazy. Uh, because, like Queen said, we want it all and we want it now. So one of the big things that keeps us from being generous is that we invest too heavily on treasures on earth and, and invest too little on treasures in heaven. So that's the first barrier, that this, this need for instant gratification. Secondly, we talked about greed, and this dovetails uh, with the first barrier, Um, greed has a way of blinding us from greed. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12 to watch out, to watch out for all kinds of sin, to uh, greed, excuse me, be on your guard, watch your back. And one of the signs that Jesus is saying that, uh, that we might be a greedy person is that we don't even consider the fact that we're greedy. 
So it's not a good sign if you're like, well, I'm not a greedy person uh, because uh, greed has a way of hiding itself. So we should be skeptical. We should ask ourselves a hundred questions. Do I really need that? Could I live more simply? But the biggest worry is the third, or excuse me, the biggest uh, barrier is the third one, which is worry. I kind of told you there ahead of time. Sorry about that. Jesus helps us to see that worry uh, is tied to our devotion. So our lives, uh, what, what the center of our life is what we're the most devoted to, and we can tell what our main devotion is by what we worry about. Worry is like this flashing neon sign uh, to our greatest devotion. Uh, so and then he says, look, you know, you know, if you shift, if you shift your devotion, you'll, you'll get rid of worry. And so he begins to talk to us quite helpfully, like, hey, he's gonna, God's going to take care of you. Like, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air and the grass of the field. He takes care of them. He's going to take care of us. So there's no reason to worry if we shift our devotion from our stuff to him. And then last week, we talked about uh, financial priorities and that uh, when it comes to our financial priorities, we need to put God at the top of the list and make him that. Um, so some of you at this point, three weeks into the series, may be thinking like, okay, Brian, I want to do that. Like, I want to be a generous person. I want to make God my number one financial priority, but I don't really know how, how. There's some tools I want to tell you about here in a second. But just again, just to underline the point, the most important thing in moving toward this is to know it's an issue of the heart that we worship our way into handling our finances this way. We worship our way into this lifestyle. We need to worship our way out of this lifestyle by asking God to sever our hearts from our stuff, then by faith begin to make these hard decisions. And to help you make these hard decisions, there are some tools on the website. If you go to our website and just click the generous ad, kind of in the, you know, scroll down a little bit, click the generous ad. There's some tools on there that will help you make some of these hard decisions. One of them is uh, to track your spending. If you haven't done that, that is an educational experience. You might be surprised on how you spend the money. And then there's a, a, um, a way to help you budget. One budget is I would encourage you to, okay, this is my current budget. This is currently how I'm spending. And then there's another budget on there, and this is how you would want to spend. And then get out the sledgehammer and start to do demo on your finances. Uh, but today... I want to shift directions in um, the series. The, the first part of the series is talking about a generous, being a generous person and primarily the benefit to us. And there is a benefit to us that if we're more generous, um, we're going to have more joy. We're going to have more peace. We're going to, uh, we're, worry is going to be, is going to be out, uh, on the way down. So there is a very much a benefit uh, to us. Um, but... These next couple weeks, I want to shift it from the benefit to us to the benefit of others. And typically when we think of giving, we do think about the benefit of others, which is why I belabored the point about the benefit to us. I mean, when you read about the Old Testament and how they gave, it didn't benefit anyone except the people giving. I mean, um, they burned what they gave. Um, so they're, they're, the main thing about giving is getting your heart right. It's about understanding who God is, understanding who you want to be. Uh, but there is very much a benefit. There's a way that if we use our money, we can bless others. And that's where I want to shift this week and the next. So in Mark 6, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 6. If you don't, we'll have this on the screen uh, for you in my background. But 
Here we are, Mark 6, very famous passage of Scripture. Uh, It's about the feeding of the 5,000. Here we go. When he went ashore, that is Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them. This is remarkable. He answered them, you give them something to eat. And the emphasis here uh, is on you. Like he looks them right in the eye and says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200, I mean just like 50, 60 grand worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, we've got five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, which is among, you know, 5,000 people. And they, ate all, they, they, they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, the temptation when you read this story is to think like Jesus at a picnic. I mean, you can... I mean, there's green grass, there's a breeze breeze blowing. I mean, you can almost see like the red and white checkered, you know, blankets laying around. But that's not what's going on here. Underneath the surface, what Jesus is doing is he's starting a revolution. I mean, he's he's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to raise up to victory. And he's going to send out an army of people into the world to preach the gospel to all nations uh, he's, he's sending out these revolutionaries, and now he's beginning to train them. He's training his revolutionaries. That's what he's doing here. He's not, it's not you know, a picnic with Jesus. I mean, he's doing some serious business. Instead of, though, giving weapons training, he's giving bread distribution training, which is important for us to see. He's preparing them to take the gospel to the world. Okay, what is bread? Bread in our culture isn't necessarily a good thing. Bread means carbohydrates. And uh, nobody eats carbohydrates anymore. But in this culture where food options were not very plentiful, um, bread meant life. So when Jesus is dealing out bread, he's saying, I am dealing out life. And there are a couple places that are familiar passages of Scripture. Maybe even if you've, you know, I realize that not everybody here is a Christian. And you may not grow up in a church. But uh, these verses are so popular that maybe you have heard them before too. And in Matthew 5 When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, connecting bread to life. And in John 6, um, this is another coffee cup verse. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert and died, yet uh, I give you bread that if you eat, you may never die. So don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for bread that spoils, but food, bread that... Uh, last for eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. So Jesus is saying here that there is a hunger that we all have uh, that the bread of this world cannot satisfy. It goes deeper than physical hunger. You and I have a hunger that goes deeper than our physical hunger. The atheist philosopher John Paul Sartre wrote this. We have this quote. He says that God doesn't exist. I cannot 
deny. So he's saying, look, I don't believe in God. I'm denying that God exists. But that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. He says, I don't believe in God, but I'm hungry for God. Uh, and Jesus says there's a hunger that Sartre says no, has no cure. I have the cure for that. There's a bread um, that I can give you that will satisfy that deep spiritual hunger that's going to keep you alive forever. So how does his word, this bread, how does this, how does this get out to people? Well, it happens through unqualified people with inadequate resources. It happens through unqualified people with inadequate resources. Enter the church of Jesus Christ. Enter you and I. Enter us. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're in our cities. We're in St. Louis. We're in Kirkwood. We're in Washington. We're at the lake. We're in these places. And Jesus, you know, we're like, how is every, you know, like there, we see all the spiritual deadness in our communities. And there are multitudes. And we're like, man, Jesus, come and do something about them. And we need to hear Jesus say to us this morning, you feed them. Well, how are we going to do that? We're unqualified. We're inadequate. We don't have enough resources. Well, Jesus is going to help us with that, and that's what this parable is all about. I mean, the disciples make a perfectly reasonable suggestion. I mean, they, they have this massive need. It's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time, so he says, let's send them away. So they make a perfectly reasonable suggestion, and Jesus makes a completely unreasonable suggestion when he says, you feed them. And the, and the disciples are like, you're asking us to do the impossible. And Jesus is saying, that is exactly my point. Until you understand that what I'm calling you to do is impossible, you're not qualified. I mean, it would have been easy for Jesus just to totally bypass the disciples. I mean, you know this about Jesus. He could have bypassed the disciples. He could have like snapped his fingers and trays of food from heaven and just kind of, oh, come down. And everyone would have been impressed. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, what do you have? Well, you got five loaves and two fish. Hey, all you have will be enough. But that's inadequate. We need, you know, we need all, we need, you know, 60 grand to feed all these people. He's like, hey, all you have will be enough. And it's only when the disciples went out in faith with what they had, that's when the power of God kicked in. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm calling you to do the impossible. I'm calling unqualified people with inadequate resources to go and feed multitudes. It's when it's kind of like when you, you know, it's like you've got this friend that you want to believe, but you're like, man, they're never going to believe in Jesus. But it's when you go out in faith and tell them about the gospel anyway, that's when God's power kicks in. Or, you know, someone needs, needs to be healed. It's like they're never going to be healed, but you pray for them anyway. That's when God's power kicks in. A commentary I read on this passage. Commentary is just a, it's a pastor's uh, cheat sheet into understanding what's going on in the scriptures. This commentary had this to say about this passage. It said, it is not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept a task that we think are adapted to our powers, we are not, check this out, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in crisis and always will be. That's encouraging. Difficulties, problems, lack of people and money, a menacing outlook, endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We are not supposed to go forward 
despite these things, check this out, they are precisely the conditions requisite for doing them. All the problems, all the limitations, all the lack of resources, these things we're not just supposed to do, we're not just supposed to go out in spite of these things. These are exactly the conditions necessary for us to do them. This is when God's power kicks in. Okay, so how is the impossible made possible. Let me turn your attention to verse 41. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. He said a blessing and broke the loaves. If you fast forward to Mark uh, 14, 22 at the Passover meal, uh, Jesus says, this is my body. Then he uses the same two verbs, blessing and broke. And then he gave it to them and said, this is my body, blessing and broke. And then on the cross, Jesus says, Father, looking at his enemies, he said, Father, forgive them. So he blessed his enemies and then he broke on the cross. For you and I, for you and I to walk out and do the miracles that God wants us to do, for you and I to go into our cities and our towns and our neighborhoods and spiritually feed the multitudes that God wants us to feed, we have to see Jesus blessing and breaking as our substitute and their substitute. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Okay, so this loaf of bread. Uh, uh, if if this loaf of bread stays whole, um, I starve, I die, I literally go to pieces. So if the bread stays whole, I go to pieces. Now for me to stay whole, the bread has to go to, to pieces and I have to break the bread. I have to break it to eat it. And Jesus is saying, what he was saying to us on the cross and what he was saying, he's like, He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am, I am broken for you. That if I, was, if, I stay, if, I, if I was to stay whole, you would go to pieces. You would eternally die. But because I broke for you, because I was torn to pieces, you can be made whole. And we have to see Jesus breaking, blessing and breaking on our behalf. That he died for us, that he unconditionally loves us, that he adopted us into our family, and that he broke himself for you and I. Now, that's totally opposite of our culture. Our culture is, very, is built on me first power, that my life is to be made whole and your life is to be broken for me. You serve me. We elbow people out of the way. We manipulate. We try to get our way to the top. And Jesus comes along and says, I am reversing that. And I am going to be torn to pieces for you. And then you and I come alongside and we, have to, we, we see him like, oh man, Jesus broke for us so that we can be made whole. And then in our own way, we break for other people so that they can be whole. We take our finances and we break them and hand them out. Just as Jesus took the bread and he broke it, he blessed it and he broke it and distributed it. We do the same thing. We take our lives, we take our time, we take our ambitions, we take all of that and we we allow them to be broken and blessed, to be sent out, and God feeds a multitude. And that's what this next resource is all about. We've had a great 20-year run. Uh, hundreds of lives, literally hundreds of lives have been transformed. But our future is not 
determined by our past. Our future is determined by what we do in the present. We have opportunities right now to invest in the lives of, of others. That what we do now in this moment matters, not just for those in our moment, but into the future. And that's how we've gotten to this point. That's how Christianity has gotten to this point, is people have been willing to let go of what God has given them so that you and I can be blessed. And now we have the opportunity to let go so that others can be blessed. And we would be really helped, and this is how I want to conclude this message, is turning our attention to this little boy who gave up everything that he had so this multitude could be fed. And it's easy to look over this little boy. I mean, this little boy, so it's, it's um, five loaves, two fish. People think of this as his lunch, but really this was probably food for a week. And so Jesus comes along, uh, or the disciples come to him on behalf of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, like, I want your food. And um, this little boy had to give up everything that he had. I mean, his, his, I can imagine his mom sending him off and saying, okay, now, Johnny, you got to take care of this. Don't lose this. This is, this is all I have for you for the week. And this culture was very much, you know, hand-to-mouth culture. They didn't have lots of reserves. So food was very scarce. And so, like, giving him this food, this was very precious. And Jesus comes along and says, I want your, I want your food. What do you think is going through this little boy's mind? Fear? Um, doubt? Um, you know, this is really important because God's going to come along and... Um, He's going to ask you for stuff. And this little boy had to consider that. And, you know, if I was this little boy, I'd, I'd be thinking like, you know what? There's no way this is going to feed 20,000 people, you know, 5,000 men plus women and children. This is not going to feed 20,000 people. My little bit is not going to feed 20,000 people. But you know who it is going to feed? It's going to feed me. It's not going to make a difference to the 20,000 people, but it will make a difference to me, so I will keep it. And you and I probably go through that all the time. We think about our, you know, what little time we have, what little money we have, and we're like, how's this going to make a difference to, you know, St. Louis and Missouri and the nations of the world? How can my little bit make a difference? We think it's not going to make a difference compared to all this big need, but you know what? It, who it will make a difference to? Me. These few hours are going to make a really big difference to me, so I'll keep it. This little bit of money that I have, you know, it's going to make the biggest difference to me, so I'll keep it. But we don't understand kingdom math. Jesus takes our inadequacy and he makes it in abundance. See, Jesus may come to you during this series, and he may come to you during this initiative, and he may say, that lunch that you're getting ready to eat, I want that. I want to take that from you, and I want to use it to bless a multitude. I want to take what you're saving for your kid's education. I want to take what you're saving for vacation, that new furniture, the new house, the plans that you had. I want to take that, and I want to use it to feed a multitude. And you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to give up what we have so that others can be blessed. And it's a scary thing. It's a very, very 
scary thing. But you know what? Jesus takes this boy's food and he blesses it and he breaks it. And you know what? 5,000 people plus women plus children were fed. And you know, not just that, but they collected 12 baskets full. I, can, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that this little boy got one of the baskets. And so he left. He, he, he left his house with food for a week and he comes home with food for a month. God promises to take care of us. He promises to supply our needs according to his riches and glory. But he wants, to, he wants to take what we have, not because he needs it, because he could, again, he could snap his fingers and bless anyone he wants to bless, but he wants to be us to be a part of the process. And so how much is enough? Well, Jesus says, well, whatever you have, that's enough. All you have will be enough, and I will take that, and I will bless it if you give it with faith. Now, I want to show you a story of a girl uh, from our city location um, who went through this process, who had to give up what she had. God called her to give up what she had, just to give you the mechanics of what you look like. I mean, you've maybe heard me say, like, you know, like, hey, you know, go and pray about what you would give. And you may be thinking, like, well, what does that even look like? And, and I want to show you what that looks like. Um, it's a story. Uh, it's a great story. For those of you in Washington, she may look familiar. Let's show this story. What would it look like if you and I, if we all did what Deborah did and what this little boy did? That if we didn't, see, instead of seeking our own little kingdoms, we decided to seek first his kingdom to see spiritual life spread throughout. What would happen to our cities? I mean, if Jesus can take a little boy's lunch for a week and take that and spiritually feed 5,000 people plus women and children, what could he do in, a city, in the cities that we are in, in the neighborhoods that we are in, when 800 people investing all that they have into the kingdom? I mean, the, the, the early believers, the first 120 believers, they took this dynamic on and they, they were all in, man. I mean, they took all that they had, all their possessions, and no one claimed anything of their own. And they just took it and they put it right into the middle. And when they did that, I mean, it just exploded. God began to bless and bless and bless and bless so much so that within 30 years, within 30 years, the gospel had hit every major city as far as Rome, 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem, without motorized transportation, without the internet, without email, any of that stuff. Just passion and kingdom-first mentality. What could God do in 30 years with us? He did that with 120. What could he do with 800? I mean, the, the needs are tremendous. I mean, in, in all of the cities that we're in, I mean, there's just hundreds and thousands of people um, who are, who are disconnected from God, disconnected from church. I mean, there's poverty everywhere. Uh, Missouri is one of the, uh, has the highest need, one of the highest need states for foster care. And um, so there's a lot of work to be done. There's a multitude to do. And if you think about it long, it can be crushing. It can be crushing. Or we could just divert it like, God, will you please, you know, send them away so you can, so they can get help. And Man, we need to see Jesus looking us right in the eye and say, hey, you feed them. <laughs> With what? Well, what do you have? Well, I've got this, and maybe I can make a few changes to my life over here, and hey, all you have will be enough. And I, man, just if we are willing to let go of just the little things that we have, and, we're in, and we 
plunge it into the kingdom. I mean, God, God can do a miracle. God will feed multitudes with that. And then you know what's going to happen? There's going to be baskets left over. God promises to take care of all of our needs according to his riches and glories. But the question that we have to ask this morning is do we want the city? Do we want God to bless our city? Or do we want our sack lunch? Do we want God to transform our cities? Or do we want our sack lunch? He wants to bless people. He wants to bless people through you and I. But we have to be willing to give up what's in our hands. We have to be willing to open up our hands and say, God, here it is. Do with what you will. And if we're willing to do that, great things can happen.